Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we're looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. High five for Hill. <laughs> Today we're talking about Minute 30. You know, it's only going to work if Hill's in the minute, Pete. It's I know, only- but it works now. Is it? It's follow-out. It's yes, follow-out. yes, yes, yes. All right. Yeah. Today we're talking about Minute 37, which begins with Eric telling some assistants where they can put it, and ends with Coulson telling Steve about his vintage set. Uh, back on the show is Jay Shepard, the MCU location scout himself. Hello, Jay. Hey, guys. Uh, Glad to be here with my big A today. <laughs> what a relief to have you back. Always, Jay. Um, we can love I it. just say, you guys, it's Commander Tupolev. I just, it just hit me. I watched Red October, and there he is. It's Commander Tupolev. And now he's doing this whole thing with nothing. You guys didn't remember that sure. he was in Red October oh, no. either. Yeah. You didn't say yeah, anything. I, yeah, it's uh, been a minute. It's, I just wasn't expecting us to go to the Hunt for Red he October was minute. A child? Why would they ever put him in charge of a submarine? <laughs> All I'm saying. All right, right, we can go back to the well. Minute. What I will say here is he does seem a lot more jolly than he seemed ever in the Hunt for Red October. Eric is is he normally this jolly? Is he this jolly because what he's been because the Tesseract has been showing him truth or is he this jolly because he's under Loki's spell? It's uh probably a combination of everything there, but I'd say it's probably um uh like a Loki anesthetic. I think the Scandinavians are generally not a jolly people. I don't think they were would subscribe the, describe themselves the as guards? jolly. They are the Skarsgårds are not jolly people. <laughs> that actually is on their crest. Skarsgård, not a jolly people. That's what it says. I don't know. They're, so they're not jolly, but they're um, they're playful. Would you say? <laughs> Well, when they're under some sort of influence. Because what's the, um, which of the Skarsgårds, I always forget which one is which, was in the Northmen. That's not Bill, that's... Um, what do they have? St- Alexander. Alexander. Alexander, yeah. yeah. So his, what do they so have? I bring, I, I, <laughs> I bring him up because if you go to Alexander Skarsgård's IMDb page, it's a shot of him, I, I'm assuming it's on some sort of, like, a, I don't red know if carpet. it's a red carpet sort of thing, but he's Not in his underwear. Pants. He's in, like, yeah. a tuxedo with no pants. It's a classic Skarsgård. Yeah. Play, playful, sociopathic, I don't know. <laughs> but some not sort jolly. Of traumatic brain injury. <laughs> Just have to be somewhere it's warm. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like, wow, is this what normal weather's like? <laughs> you guys, we should all take off our pants. Oh, you please take don't off start your with pants. the accents. You what? take off, Andy, take off your pants. <laughs> all right, so we're in the same location, and I still question, like, where did they find this place? Like, it is seriously quite an elaborate place they've put together in just a few days. Who would know? Well, I, yeah, I it's <laughs> clearly it's a tomb according to our extended scene that we'll talk about here. So it's it's three levels underground. I can't remember how far he said, but it's it's yeah three. Yeah, so we're underground. We're in a space that is safe where Loki is upset that he's hiding. So I I guess they're trying to not give their location away. They want to. I don't know. Do you think that they know that this thing gives off gamma and potentially? shield is going to figure out a way to track it like what's their concern actually i don't think they have any concerns right now you know just being under the influence of the um of the you know the 
the Gary uh, Seven Eyes or whatever <laughs> from Star Trek, right? That looks <laughs> yeah. like the same, uh, uh, right? Not Gary Seven, uh, uh, Gary Mitchell from uh, Where No One Has Gone Before when he got the the power to eradicate people or iridium people. That's probably a, a, a reference that Pete will get, but I'm yeah. Andy's not no Andy idea. Can't can't truck with that. <laughs> no Star Trek. No, no. No, Star Trek. No. I've seen I've seen the first two shows. I mean, you know, the original and Next Generation. I haven't seen anything else. Well, this I've, was the pilot, pilot of the original yeah. show, which I've never seen. I, I haven't seen all of them. I haven't seen all of the episodes, <laughs> oh, but I've seen I, some of the episodes. Seen them? Okay. Yes. I know they yeah. exist. I've I seen all the movies. That they exist. <laughs> if it's in one of the movies, I know I've seen it. Uh, well, anyway, um, I guess I didn't understand your your reference there. As far is it as far as like the location they're in here? No, the the eyeballs. Their eyeballs are. are you know, oh, clouded over the with blue, the yeah. possession from the the stone. Yeah, that kind of silly blue. Well, the tesseract. We don't know that it's a stone yet. So. Right, right, right. Sorry, right. spoilers. <gasps> <laughs> we have so many minutes before that reveal will happen. No, it's fine. Um. Well, okay. We were, but we've been talking. But you about want to this know location. the location? Is that why you're asking? Well. Oh, I, I do. Actually, let's talk about the location. We've talked about this location before because we've seen been in this location before. But as the person who gave us the information um, from your wonderful website, why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah, so this is a really weird place. Um, it's Cleveland, um, clearly. It is a weird place. <laughs> Woo! Looking at it. Um, but Knew it. Yeah, uh, based on um, some other writings and stuff that I was looking at, it's the location is part of a viaduct that is under the Detroit Superior Bridge in, uh, I think it's like Western Cleveland, right near the right near the river. I think it's probably, I think it's just a couple blocks from where they filmed part of the Winter Soldier driving in Washington, D.C. freeway traffic when the door gets blown off and Steve and everybody has to slide out of the car. Um, I think it was uh, right around there, but... You can actually, it's kind of like a, I guess, like a Seattle underground tour. You can actually, you know, take a tour with, with a group of folks and they lead you down into this old part of like old Cleveland or something that, again, was a viaduct that obviously brought water into or out of the city um, near the uh, Superior Bridge here. Interesting. Well, the Detroit Superior Bridge, I guess, which is also weird being in Cleveland. Right, right. But it's not in use anymore. It's just a it's just Correct. an abandoned viaduct yeah. that they have here. Now. And obviously it's I mean, but it's in obvious good enough condition that uh, at least it was, you know, 11 years ago that oh, it's okay to bring in, you know, 50 extras and a crew of however many people to film, you know, with lights and everything like that. Right, right, right. Yeah. No, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I thought it was part of their studio set, uh, actually, to begin with, because it looks like something, you know, that you, that you don't really get much of a sense. Actually, in the deleted scene, you get a little bit of that shot of Loki in, uh, in a tunnel. Yes, um, But right. you really don't ever see too much other than just like plastic sheeting and some lighting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think before there wasn't quite as much of this setup, or it was, but it, we weren't in it. And so that was where Loki kind of sits down and then transports himself uh, to go have his conversation with the other. Yeah, dirt floor. Yeah, you know. it's just it just looks like kind of a cement-walled location, so nothing about it really stands out. It, it looks like one of those locations that they probably just picked because they could use it. And, you know, Cleveland, I, I'm not 
familiar enough with kind of the Ohio film industry as far as like, are is there are there stages that they could actually rent to use in Ohio? Or did they have to do all location shooting while they were there? I don't know of too many stages. At least I don't hear about stuff um, being filmed at Cleveland. Like movies that have filmed in Cleveland have stage work done elsewhere, like uh, Spider-Man 3, which had the final fight with Sandman, I think. Uh, filmed in Cleveland, and there have been a couple others, obviously, that Marvel films as well. Well, I mean, and it, what's interesting is they're filming part of this in New Mexico, and New Mexico does have studios. So clearly, this location, they realized, you know, it's probably cheaper for us to just film in this viaduct than to, than build, to build, build something right. in a stage. So, uh, you know, I mean, they've got dark, dingy walls and a dirt floor and, and columns, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And they were able to go, you know, a few hours away to Pennsylvania for the mushroom farm that they used yeah. as the underground shield uh, bunker the, stuff at the, the, tunnels, the beginning yeah. of the movie as well. So, yeah. Right. So, I mean, so to that end, it makes sense. Like, uh, and, you know, a lot of the times with the locations, it also boils down to which actors are going to be in a particular location. And we had Skarsgård and we had Renner both in the opening location, which also was in Cleveland. So a lot of this makes sense that, you know, we don't want to be traveling these actors all over the place. They're here. Let's just find a location here in Cleveland that we can use. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, the other, uh, the another interesting element that's answered here, which is, um, we, I know we had talked about when we first uh, had a scene here, is where did they get all these people from? Is Loki just, you know, going around making everybody his his slaves with the Mind Stone? And uh, I don't know. I guess we get kind of an answer that they're Shield's enemies. Um, I, I don't know. On such short notice, I do find that to be a little bit of a stretch, considering, again, according to the wiki, this is only days since the uh, since the um, dark matter facility um, imploded. So there's they found a lot of people and have gotten a lot of work done in a couple of days. And I, I don't know how easy it is to round up this sort of um, rabble, but clearly they've figured out a way because there are a lot of people getting a lot of stuff done here. That's the power of Craigslist for you right there. <laughs> They're all gig workers. <laughs> or or fiber. Here and then it's all just Uber Eats all the way home. Exactly. <laughs> I, w- the other thing that I found funny about this particular location, I don't know if there's a reason, but in this location, as you already talked about, Jay, Eric is in, he's kind of created a sealed space for himself to be doing this work in, and he was not in a sealed space. In fact, he had a, a runway, which again, we're not exactly sure why, but the the whole design was so different at the other facility. And it's interesting that here he's doing something, I don't know, I, I don't know if it boils down to now he has the answers, or maybe it's now he's not making this door for Loki, or what exactly is going on, but the whole thing is strange. I always kind of looked at it as, um, at the, at the uh, Dark Matter facility, you know, it's a it's an actual uh, facility for doing experiments, right? So it's, you know, it's kept clean. This is some, like, dirty underground tunnel, so he's just kind of put ah, the uh, plastic yeah, around, sense. you know, to keep the dust and stuff out of his sensitive equipment, right. potentially. Yeah, that actually makes sense. Okay. So we see uh, we see Hawkeye walk up, 
and he shows him on a screen, Dr. Heinrich Schaefer. We'll talk about him more in tomorrow's minute when we actually see him in person, but he's a nuclear scientist. He works at the Department of Nuclear Science and Technology at the Schaefer Institute, and clearly he is a scientist who has uh, tracked down iridium, chemical element number 77, and we get a little picture of that as well. And I found this interesting. The the type of computer that Jeremy Renner is holding here is called a VT Miltope RCLC1 Generation 1 Rugged Convertible Laptop Computer. And I was, because I saw the little uh, VT Miltope in the corner of that, I'm like, what is this? It's a company that basically designs uh, pads and computers for military, for people to be using in the field. They're incredibly rugged designs and, um, you know, all the network stuff and, and for aviation and everything um, for demanding environmental conditions. And I, I don't know, I wow. was kind of excited about seeing what this thing was. And I was looking at it online, like it's got a monitor like it looks like a briefcase like this laptop looks like it's a briefcase really thick, yeah. yeah it's super thick and the monitor actually swivels so the way that he's holding it right now he has swiveled the monitor around and flipped it up so it's basically like a box and he's holding it from the side and then later he'll flip the monitor back up and as as they're talking with Loki you'll see that he's kind of flipped the monitor around and is actually typing on it it's oh wow very cool so like cool. this could get hit by like a snowcat and it would be okay yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah, these things are intensely rugged. So, which is good for Jeremy Renner. He's <laughs> good for Jeremy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Both of you are. Both of you should be ashamed. <laughs> right. I tell you. See, this is like Andy. I don't know where you were, man. It's like we had one, two. There should have been a three. I know. I know. I clearly was we're try- uh, trying was not to like attention. dig you out of the joke. Unlike Jeremy, <laughs> dig Renner. me out of the snowbank. <laughs> Was that did that help? <laughs> it was okay, but we can really tell that oh, you no, detest no. this level of, of shenaniganry. <laughs> he was down at Wind River instead. So, oh man! All right. Um, so, what? How do you read this moment where they're talking about iridium? And Barton says, because um, Selvig said it's very hard to get a hold of. And Barton says, especially if Shield knows you need it. And then Selvig says, "Well, I didn't know." <laughs> how do you? What is, how does that play for you? I'm, I'm tr- I've been trying to figure out, like, what is he saying here? Like, he did, is he like apologizing? Well, hey, I didn't know I needed this. Or is he saying that how would S.H.I.E.L.D. know? Cause I didn't know. That's how I read it. Even though I love this movie, there are so many moments and, and cause it moves qu- so quickly through, like we were talking in the last minute, how it just efficiently, uh, with economy of dialogue and movement and stuff moves you, um, you know, off the bridge, right? Everybody's got what they need. We're going to go surveil people. Here, same kind of thing. What do we need? We need this thing, and then I need an eyeball. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I need an eyeball. It's, it's the same kind of thing. Yeah. It, everything just kind of moves, and there are you know, points. It's like, all right, I, we're already on to the next thing. I'm just going to focus on this. Like, I actually hadn't even thought about that one too much <laughs> i know it's well th- this whole thing and this i end up finding when i come to scenes involving loki in this film i find them to be more awkwardly constructed and i don't know if that's just the nature of the the director trying to figure out what's the business we're doing with these characters to get them into a place where the the heroes are going to need to be like or what because you know this follows with this awkward conversation <laughs> 
that that Eric has with Loki. Like he's super excited to see Loki when he shows up. He's like, "Hey!" And, and then he's then he goes off on like the Tesseract. And this is really where we start seeing like crazy Eric that we're going to get in Thor: The Dark World because well, he's so excited <laughs> about like the science of everything, right? I mean, yeah. he's a little much. He gets him drunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It's like he got drunk with Thor and never quite. <laughs> recovered <laughs> i just missed that way it must be a deleted scene when thor actually looks at eric and says eric you're giving me a 12 i need about a six can you about a six? <laughs> oh, we need to go back and look at those deleted scenes again clearly there must be one in there so okay so we're hitting this point where there's a kind of a lot of the rest of the scene comes later because there's also this extended scene here. And I suppose it's worth talking about this extended scene because there's a lot going on with this extended scene. Uh, we get more information about the relationships between, um, you know, Selvig and Barton, Selvig and Loki, Barton and Loki. Um, we kind of get a little bit of a, of you know, a moment where Barton is thinking about the fact that he didn't end up killing Nick Fury, which I thought was kind of interesting. We also get to get a sense of this more, we get a better handle, I think, of how Barton is kind of deciding to involve Loki in the plan to get the Iridium. Like, he clearly has this plan to get this Iridium, which he came up with very quickly because he just got confirmation from Eric. Like, this is the guy, right? And now he already has a plan. That aside, now he's also just quickly decided, I know how to get you involved because you don't want to be hiding in the basement anymore. And this is going to be awesome. And so... Glorious purpose. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> And standing right under the light, it's just like so perfectly like, wow, this is so constructed. It is just so put together. Uh, anyway, what do you two think of the way that this extended scene gives us more uh, more of all of this? It's a little much compared to the last deleted scene. It's a little much for me. I can actually I, I can feel why it was cut. However, it does answer some of the questions that we've had in previous minute minutes about Barton's performance, yeah, uh, and and how he's I'm not really great with a gun, like I I, I I'm a bow guy, right? Like I I feel like this is the minute that explains some things that we actually pointed out as shortcomings in earlier minutes, and yet I'm I can kind of see why they got rid of it because it's a weirdly constructed scene that location the way they shoot that hallway and you're right the construction of of Loki's head down big smile is just a little much for me it's kind of weirdly over the top I don't know Jay I, I'm a big fan of Hawkeye and I was I've, I'm always upset that they made him a bad guy in, in this first movie where he didn't get to spend the time with the other adventures though I mean I've you know, I see how it it all fits together, and he's definitely gotten his um, his time in other films and stuff like this. But I, if that um, deleted sequence was in the original one, I thought it would have been great. Um, you know, because like you said, it does answer some of these other questions. It just gives you a little bit more of who is this guy that you know we only saw on scaffolding in the rain in um, in Thor. You know, so. For, again, for people who wouldn't know who Hawkeye was at the time. 
But, you know, following on that, I also really like Hawkeye. And I feel like if this is the version of him that I would have gotten, like when he snaps at Eric with that, well, a Radisson doesn't have three levels of lead-lined flooring between S.H.I.E.L.D. and that cube, I'm like, God, I don't know if I would have liked this <laughs> this version of him. <laughs> I love that he, he's like, he's a real points guy. Like, he says, I've been, <laughs> I, I'm a member of all of the loyalty clubs, and the Radisson has the best because of the shielding <laughs> issue. But see, I could, ch- I chalk up a lot of this extra behavior to these characters being under the influence of the Mind Stone, right? Sure, it's, sure. I mean, they're doing all sorts of things that they wouldn't normally be doing. So you, that's, you know, maybe it just heightens other uh, elements of their personality or something like that. So n- normally he wouldn't be that. <laughs> he wouldn't care that much. <laughs> Although I will say uh, Selvig's reaction to that is hilarious, you know, because he's just he kind of like like laughs giddily and shakes his head and just like shrugs his shoulders and turns around and go back, goes back to work. It's just it really is like the start of crazy eric it's so great because the giddiness of science <laughs> the giddy you're right you're right science keeps him giddy <laughs> so good yeah it's it is a strange little moment and they did i mean they trim it really efficiently where you don't even notice um that there were changes to the location by the time we come back to the scene at the end and in the actual film and we see the whole thing about the eyeball and we get to see him pulling out his bow and and i mean it's a fantastic little retractable bow that they've designed that we get to see but yeah um it's it's kind of um we're in a totally different location but they shot it in a way and they edited it in a way where we really just don't notice i thought it played really efficiently agreed yeah it does look like he has just turned around just outside of the selvig's tent area yeah. uh to uh to pick up his uh briefcase or the, his the bow, bow case bow case right right I, you know, I thought it was interesting. Speaking of Hawkeye's bow, this was, um, it's a custom-made collapsible double recurve bow equipped with a laser sight and some buttons, which he can use to select which arrowhead in his custom quiver to attach to the arrow shafts. It's actually different than the compound bow that he had in Thor. And I guess I wasn't paying enough attention to the one in Thor, or I had just forgotten. But yeah, this is the different one that he uses here. Are you guys real bow guys? I am not. I'm not. No, I like nunchucks. You're a nunchuck <laughs> guy. Fascinating. Okay. How... I feel like I should have had a weapon pull when yeah, you said that. Right. No, Jay did, no, Jay Jay did all the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. No, I'm more into tweezers. Look, I am wondering how legit these collapsible bows are. Like, I know they exist, right? This isn't just a thing for the movie, is it? Considering this is VFX, I, I'm pretty sure that yeah, the, yeah. this doesn't work in the same but way. But aren't there right. collapsible bows, like, in real life? To an extent, I think. We definitely see, like, because we get this extended scene, we can see that this is completely CG. Like, when he right. when he does his little move, there's nothing that happens to it, which is kind of funny to see. I know that there, uh, like, I can I can go to Amazon and I can find the SAS Recon Folding Survival Bow, and it does. It looks it looks sort of like this, but not not exactly. It's it's not quite as you know. Let, let's just say it's sufficient, uh, if if not completely similar. Um, but I just I don't know. Like, are they? It, I've always wondered. Let's just say that he that Hawkeye loved this collapsible bow. I would love to know if it really would be 
something that that a guy like Hawkeye would use. Like it, it uh, collapsible anything often feels substandard, like subpar for use. Like even look at Iron Man's briefcase suit. Like he only really carries it when he's going on vacation. Well, as we know, he left the research facility at the start of the film <laughs> without right. any of his gear. So clearly, he's had Maybe to take a trip to some book, some though. secret base that right. he has somewhere, some stash, <laughs> so that he Andy, could. Obviously, this, yeah. it was in the Radisson. <laughs> the Walmart at the Radisson. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, I did. We did have uh, one of our uh, listeners did bring up an article that we will talk about very soon once uh, he starts shooting arrows because they uh, they referenced an article for us. The Avengers Hawkeye world's worst archer. (laughs) Oh, that's uh, you know, it's going to be funny to uh, yeah, to look at, at some of that stuff. I don't know archery very well, so I watch people shooting bows and arrows, and um, they they look very similar to me, unless some of them do it faster, like those that guy on YouTube or something. Yeah. Well, anyway, so we've got the—we get, again, this is an example of the efficient and clever writing style throughout the film. We get the hook with a line about an eyeball that leaves us hanging. We have no idea what it means, but Clint needs an eyeball. It sounds like something Rocket would say, and Rocket would probably mean an actual (laughs) eyeball that I want you to give me. But uh, that that takes us to our uh, back to the bridge on the helicarrier. Now, what I find interesting here is we cut into the helicarrier following a random extra walking up some stairs uh, up to the catwalk working area. And I'm not exactly sure why we come in in this particular way, but that's how we that's how they chose to come into the helicarrier in this particular uh, situation. If you look carefully, you can actually see Sitwell is down at the far end on the lower level. So I guess there's some connection, but I don't know. I mean, did either of you have any thoughts about this edit when we cut from one location to the next? I, I didn't feel it was too bad uh, since you're following a moving person, you know, on the catwalk. It it draws the eye, it draws the camera to the next cut with, um, was it, uh, is it Maria coming up behind Sitwell? Um, it is, uh, just sit well sitting there and then we're, we're coming in on the conversation between the two, the two okay. guys. Yeah. So yeah. there's no one behind sit well yet. Okay. Yeah. It, it didn't, it didn't feel that awkward to me. Me neither. I mean, I felt like I'm, I'm jumping into, onto a busy bridge. Yeah. In Star Trek, right? Yeah. Like in Star Trek? Like in Star yeah. Trek. <laughs> Star Trek. You're right back to the Star Trek references. Blue eyes, yeah. Star Trek, bridges, all that. <laughs> oh, oh, <geez. laughs> all that, yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I mean, I, to your point, Jay, we are cutting on motion. We got that close-up of Jeremy Renner's face as he kind of then moves from left to right. And then we cut to that bridge as the camera's moving left to right. She's moving left to right. So there is, to your point, there is that movement and it feels very natural to kind of like have that cut where you don't need, it does make it feel invisible. I just think it's strange that this is a person that we've never seen before or again, or perhaps we have, who knows, you know, she's a background actor just working and going up the stairs on the bridge. But I guess it does give us that sense that, yes, this is a busy place. Everybody is busy at work. And so to that end, I guess it it succeeds. I just I, I wonder sometimes when I see shots like this, is there something they could have put in that would have been better suited to doing that? Always second guessing the professionals. I mean, you might call her you might call her a red shirt. I mean, I don't know. You probably wouldn't. But Jay and I would. I mean, she wasn't wearing a red shirt. <laughs> but, but see, that's yeah, more that's of a metaphor. metaphor. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, right, Jay right, and right. I understand that. You know who was wearing a red shirt? <laughs> Natasha. <laughs> Natasha. Uh, too soon. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. So we come in to sit well. He is doing his face uh, face trace. Specifically, he's got on his computer, he's looking for Loki. And, you know, as we've seen these, we see people looking for Loki, Eric, and uh, and Clint. Those are the three people that they know are um, with that they're trying to track. And so this is uh, what Sitwell's up to. And we see that his computer is, so far, he's having no luck. Everything is a no match. And that leads us to our conversation between uh, Colson and Steve about the trading cards. This is the, uh, it's kind of cute. It does make me laugh because clearly everybody's in a hurry to find this, uh, find what they need. And then these two are just talking about trading cards. I do think that's a little funny, but uh, but it plays. It plays well. And and Coulson's fanboying uh, with this superhero, uh, like, you know, we all might be. Um, so there's, you know, very much the audience surrogate act action going on there as well uh which i i just love colson i think he's he's so endearing and and of course you know gone too soon but then he comes back for for (laughs) eight seven seasons of a tv show so well and i think you're i think you're right like in terms of an an actor playing the the audience surrogate i don't think you could have cast it better than clark Gregg. like he's just such an endearing personable like human looking person right like it, it feels <laughs> normal in us in a, 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 a just a landscape of uh, extraordinary uh physical specimens uh, a lot mm. of them and uh, and so it's it's really easy to put myself in the shoes of colson and i would be saying the same thing whether it was chris evans standing next to me or captain america like i'd be looking for him to sign something yeah <laughs> well i was i was telling you guys here before the show i've got my set of uh uh, Agent Coulson's vintage Captain American trading cards, which are an EFX collectible set. Um, one one set clean of like I think it's like twelve or fourteen cards, and then the other set is the literally has the blood stains on it, so um, both front and back. It's um it's pretty dirty looking. <laughs> Just but gruesome. it's got some classic Captain America uh, image imagery from the comics with like him slugging Hitler and uh, sure sure oh, that's great so also to buy war bonds so uh, yeah I I would love to see Chris Evans and get him to sign my set here yeah you gotta just you gotta you know just carry it around just be ready you've got to be ready <laughs> for that random chance that he's the random show chance. Up I'm sure it'll happen Baltimore. yeah <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, that's we we end right in the middle of this conversation between the two of them. After Colson says it's a vintage set, took me a couple of years to collect them all. It's a great place to actually kind of end this minute uh, mid conversation. Um, and yes, it is adorable the fanboying, and you know, to the writer's credit, like the way that we come in to this scene in like in middle in the middle of this conversation. I mean, it starts with Colson saying, "I mean, if it's not too much trouble, like it's it's just smartly constructed." And you know, they always say you know, get in late and get out early as far as the, when you're writing scenes. So this is a perfect example of that. Yeah. Well, uh, let's wrap it up for today. Uh, Jay, tell everybody again about what you're up to out there. Well, you can find my work at mculocationscout.com where I am tracking down the uh, latest um, uh, locations from like Ant-Man, surprisingly, uh, not the quantum realm, but you know, the, um, <laughs> just the San Francisco stuff, which was not shot in San Francisco and, and also clearly for not Panther if you and, see the street scenes 
Good God. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it was pretty flat, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you can also uh, hear any of my podcasts at RetroZap.com. Uh, we've got uh, Superhero Suite. We've got Scarlet Velocity, a Flash podcast. There's also Enjoy Stuff, where um, myself and my co-host, Josh, we uh, try to find the fun in everything, talking about all sorts of interesting retro and techno things from our 50-plus years on the planet. That's fantastic. So much great stuff. Thank you so much, Jay, for being here to talk about this Minute today. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you. And Pete, we'll be back uh, tomorrow to talk about Minute 38. So thanks as always. Tomorrow, Andy, Sitwell's got a hit. (laughs) Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. <laughs>